This Quietcast podcast is brought to you by Ideas Digest. I'm Conrad. And I'm Matt. Each week, two optimistic Aussie blokes explore new (laughs) and challenging ideas outside of our echo chamber on our totally realistic quest to achieve world peace, maybe some personal enlightenment. Is that too much of an oversell? No, just roll the montage. Okay. I'm right and you're wrong. What are you talking about? Straight men enjoy gay sex. What? The Bible is extremely pro-abortion. Why the hell should I trust you now? Don't define me by what I do in bed. Do you think that kick us out? I've done psychedelics 150 times in my life. You still choose to ejaculate to that. Oh my God. You can have a wife and a girlfriend. This guy just gets your face. Rubs that in. Break your bias. Each week, anywhere you get your podcast, tune in. It's going to be an amazing time. Amazing. <laughs> when you're struggling with your mental health, the world can seem pretty heavy. Like no one understands what you're feeling or you're not sure how to ask for help. But here's the real truth. You're never in this alone. 988 Lifelines trained crisis counselors are available 24-7 to offer the help and support you need to make it through. No judgment, no stigma, just someone to listen. Text or call 988-SUICIDE-IN-CRISIS-LIFELINE, day or night, 988. Hope has a new number. Sail into summer in New Jersey, where sea breezes drift along iconic sunny shores, stroll boardwalks, or soar high on the rides. Take time out to breathe in the great outdoors. Treat yourself, shop, dine, dive into history, the arts and culture. From dazzling winning cities to charming towns in the countryside. Find it all at visitnj.org. Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Hey friends, what's up? Welcome back to the New Evangelicals Podcast. So good to have you here with us. On this episode of the podcast, I interviewed Cynthia Vaca Davis, who wrote a book, Intersection, a story of faith, identity, and authenticity. Intersection is a dual narrative, creative nonfiction work told from alternating first-person perspectives. Okay, and so what happened here in this book is that Cynthia is telling the story of Danny, who is intersex. And this is a very fascinating conversation. It, it is powerful. It is riveting. And Cynthia's own personal story as well is also one to listen to during this interview. So I hope you enjoy it. I was looking forward to sharing this one with you. I'm, I'm so glad we're finally doing it. So I hope you enjoy this interview. As always, I do want to say a sincere thank you to everyone who watches or listens to the podcast. If you like the work that we're doing, would you consider giving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or a subscribe and a like if you're watching this on YouTube? That'd be so helpful. It helps keeps our port. It, help, it helps to keep our porch light on for people to know that they're not alone as they navigate out of the basement of the evangelical 
tradition and into the house of the Christian tradition. That's how I like to put it. And honestly, you helping us by liking and subscribing and you know rating, it just helps us get our work out there. And of course, we are a nonprofit organization holding space for literally thousands of people. If you want to help hold space for those people as they navigate their faith journey, we are a nonprofit and donations really help. So you can click on the link in our show notes and you can donate there. All donations in the U.S. are tax deductible. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my interview with Cynthia Baca Davis. I hope you enjoy it. All right. Uh, you know, Cynthia Vaca Davis, thank you for joining for the second time on the podcast because <laughs> we started recording a few days ago and, you know, um, I'm going to call it demonic attack. I think we had a, a, a true spiritual attack and uh, our computer, our program crapped out. I'm not sure whose fault it was. We'll say it was the devil's. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we, we prayed, we fasted and uh, anointed our computers with oil. And here we are, you know, take <laughs> yeah. two. <laughs> it was spiritual warfare, Tim. <laughs> no doubt about it. Like I said before we started recording, this is I live a very tough life, uh, full of Christian persecution, and I carry my cross daily for thousands of people. So I'm just doing my job, pushing through. Uh, yeah, I, I truly have counted the cost. I truly have. So uh, it is great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for making time. You wrote a book, Intersection, A Story of Faith, Identity, and Authenticity, uh, with an X intersection with an X, and we're going to talk a lot about a lot about the book and why you wrote it. But of course, I, I have to ask the question I always ask my guests. You know, who is Cynthia? How did you grow up in evangelical spaces, and then what led you eventually becoming an author and writing a book called Intersection: A Story of Faith, Identity, and Authenticity? The floor is yours. All right. So um, my journey to um, intersection, a story of faith, identity, and authenticity um, was uh, long and meandering. But I basically, you ask about, you know, did I grow up in evangelical spaces? Mm -hmm. And for for quite some time, I did. I was born into a family that was not churched at the time when I came into the world. My dad was a seeker and uh, we moved around because he was in radio and he was going, you know, chasing all the better markets, um, being a newscaster. And then uh, he moved us out to the country and we had this like Thoreau-esque sort of thing going on. And I was about eight, eight, nine years old. And he uh, found Jesus through a Billy Graham crusade. And I started going around to churches with him, churches, plural, all kinds of churches. It was a cornucopia of uh of spirituality in our house. Um, we went to Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, wow. charismatic churches. So I saw the whole spectrum. And, you know, it was uh, educational. Like I would see how it would operate. You know, it was kind of the same and different. It was the same in that um, every church I was at seemed to have a special issue and they seemed to have special rules. And if you stayed with those special rules, you were family. You were good. Yeah. And then if you broke the special rules, you were totally out. It was like you never existed and you're no longer church family. You're no, no longer valued church family. You're just not spoken of anymore. And I would see people disappear on a regular basis. It just, that was the normal thing. If you cross those lines, you were out. Um, but I happened to notice like at every church we were at, the rules were different. <laughs> the issues were different. So that really stuck with me as a yeah, child. Sure. So to the point where when I 
came out on my own to, you know, the so-called real world, yeah. I had to figure out, <laughs> you know, where, what did I think personally, not just, you know, what church was my family going to at the time or what were the rules, um, you know, that, you know, I was kind of stuck with because my family decided to go to a church. You know, I had to decide that for myself. And I think that um, it took me a very long time. And it wasn't until the I came to an intersection where the um, the uh, inspiration for the title comes um, from my book comes where I had to make some choices about who I really am and what I really believe. And I had to choose between safety and comfort and being truly authentic. And my life intersected with someone else's life at that time who was going through very, very different circumstances, but yet the same sort of really important choices were being made that were going to alter the rest of, of their life. And our lives came together at that exact moment. And that's what inspired the book Intersection. Mm. Well, it's interesting because at least in my faith tradition, you know, one of the wake up calls for me was I grew up in a very conservative hymns only kind of environment. Uh, you know, the charismatics were demonic. It was satanic. And then when I actually got older and went to one of their youth groups, they told me the same thing about my tradition. You know, like, oh, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, are you really a Christian? And I'm like, well, of course I have the Holy Spirit. And they go, well, don't you speak in tongues? Then I go, no, of course not. Well, then you don't really have the Holy Spirit. I'm like, wait, wait a second. It's kind of like that that Spider-Man meme where the same Spider-Mans are pointing at each other, right? Like, you're a heretic. You're a heretic. Like, well, okay. Uh, and it kind of wakes you up, right? Where you're like, wait a second. You're telling me that other people think that I am the heretic, but I'm definitely not. They're the heretic. And it kind of wakes you up, right? It sure does. There's a whole tongue segment in my book where I was going to a church where we lost our pastor because he fell to the evils of tongues. And then a year and a half later, suddenly I discover my dad speaking in tongues. I tiptoed down the hall one night and uh, to get a glass of water kind of thing. And there was my dad just hunched over at the back of the kitchen over the wood stove and all of a sudden I realized, I think, I think those are tongues. And I just slipped away and went back to my room to await further developments because, holy cow, what was happening? Right, right. So, okay, walk me through this, though. So you obviously, you know, figured some stuff out, but then, you know, you, you wrote a book, Intersection with with an X. Uh, yep. What, how, why, why is sex in, in, in the word, you know? Um, what, what brought you to the point where you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book on this? Right. So the book is a dual narrative. It is mm. two mine and my friend Danny. Danny is intersex. And when I said earlier that our lives were both kind of at this crossroads, um, Danny had been living as a woman for, um, he was 40 at the time and had been living as a woman his entire life, even though he went through I mean, he was when he was born. He there was no indication that he was anything other than female. Like there was, there was nothing to indicate that. But Danny inside was very aware that something was very wrong. Why do people keep calling me a girl? Why is why are my parents making me wear dresses? I don't like dresses. I'm a boy. What is the confusion? Why don't people understand that I'm a boy? And then puberty came. And Danny had double puberty, meaning that um, 
uh, you know, physical manifestations on both sides. Um, you know, he what he had a testicle emerge and um, also got a period, and you know, just all kinds of things were happening mm. physically, wow. um, verifiable things. And and when the in the male puberty started to happen first, and Danny, who had been praying every night, God let everyone see finally that I am a boy. Let let it be known that I am a boy. Let this, you know, correct this error. And suddenly, hallelujah, it looked like Danny's prayers were being answered. Mm. But then, um, you know, later on, that happened at the beginning of the summer. By the end of the summer, uh, female puberty happened. And Danny was just, of course, devastated and confused, but also knew that whatever was happening wasn't something that could be discussed with um, his family mm. or with church because he was going to lose everything. He was going to lose faith and family. He knew if he said anything, because this instinctively he knew this wasn't the way it was supposed to go. Um, mm. His mom had slipped a book under the door called Almost 12, and nothing in Almost 12 covered these circumstances. Right. Well, I mean, even even you know, biologically, that th- those circumstances are, are pretty rare. Um, right. it's, it's not very common where, where where someone goes through you know double puberty, right? In this case, and then I think, no. I, am I wrong on that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're not wrong. Um, intersex is not as rare as many people think. The inter- hmm. intersex is an umbrella term. And intersex occurs, some form of intersex occurs about as often as red hair. So there are as many intersex people as there are redheads statistically. Okay. But um, it's an umbrella and Danny's type of intersex, um, where there is both male and female, um, is actually the rarest. Okay. That that makes sense. Okay. So so how did you actually meet Danny then? I mean, what what's the story behind that? Met Danny at church. And um it's this was the first church that I had been in where I started to feel truly comfortable. Like I felt that the rules were elastic enough mm. and that the lines were you know, the lines were elastic, not rigid, that uh, I started feeling like questions were welcomed and different perspectives were welcomed. And I suspected that um, I really, truly thought Danny was a lesbian because um, he was living with a female partner, even though he was presenting female at the time. I always called Danny he, uh, because that's how he always identified. But at the time, Mm. um, I knew Danny as her. Right. And I Danny with a female partner and they were leading the youth group. And I thought, this is really cool. We have lesbian youth leaders at this church. Oh my goodness. This is a place I want to be. Um, but it wasn't long before I started to realize that there was more going on with Danny. Um, suddenly, um, Danny had been a pretty upbeat person. I saw enough of Danny to to understand that this was a person who liked to have fun. I saw him out with the teens, um, uh, playing messy games and, you know, shooting uh, water guns and stuffing marshmallows, you know, and <laughs> all the, all the stuff. That, a real character. Know, real character. <laughs> um, but we got to a point, um, I think the second summer that I knew Danny and his partner, and it was obvious that something just awful was happening. Danny just started to become very withdrawn mm-hmm. and very, um, very, 
it just the only word I could think of was depressed. Danny's partner seemed to be very depressed. And at this time in, in the story, I was closer to Danny's then partner than I was with Danny. And um, there was just, there started to be a lot of concern. What's happening? And um, one day, Danny decided to um, to tell me what was going on. And even though we at this point were not super close, like I said, it was closer with his partner, my husband and I had sort of developed a reputation as being pretty um, open as far as um, being welcoming to the LGBTQI plus community. We had a lot of um, people come into our lives over the years um, that were, um, that were in the, in the spectrum somewhere and the alphabet community. And um, Danny was looking for some safe people to confide in. He had worked up with the help of a life coach. He had worked up a script about who he really was. And because he was both physically and mentally um, at extreme peril, like his life was in danger physically and mentally. And he knew that he had to risk everything. He still was afraid that he was going to risk losing family, faith, worried about what the church would say and whether he'd still get to work with the youth group, but his life was in danger. Mm. So he had to tell his truth. And I was, my husband and I were incredibly honored to be two of the first people that he ever told what was truly happening. And, and that's basically, you know, how Danny and I, came together and intersected. Um, the book came about because at that same time, um, I was, I was working at two different universities and I was completing, uh, MFA at a third university, um, an MFA in, in creative writing. And I still needed a thesis topic for my MFA. And Danny was, um, he said, you know, you, sh- you could write about intersex. And I said, oh, <laughs> it was intriguing to me. But I also was very cautious because it's Danny's story. But yet. Right. I was going to say that kind of earlier. Like, I mean, I, it's all pre- you have a book written about Danny's story with your own story in it. So it's obviously clear that that you have permission to share the story. But I also do feel like, you know, I would I would feel very much like you were. It's like, well is, you know, I, I, me personally, I am a straight man. Uh, you know, is this my story to tell about right. someone's journey, you know, in, in the queer community and also going through, uh, and experiencing, uh, you know, something that is very, um, you know, not common biologically. Right. So that's, that, right. that's a very tall order to do. It's a tall order. And, um, you know, on one hand, as a writer, it sounds, oh, that's an amazing challenge, but another, you know, like, ah, <laughs> I don't want is co-opting the story. It's, you know, uh, there were a lot of things I had to think through, but Danny, it was, it was Danny and, and his encouragement that, um, that made me do it. He says, listen, this is a story that never gets told Mm. and it will help people. And I'm not a writer. I'm not interested in writing a book. Um, but yet I think it would be, there's something I would like to give to the community is my story. So, Essentially, what ended up happening, um, it was when I was writing this thesis, um, it was just going to be kind of about intersex. We were, you know, just in the very beginning stages of talking about what that might look like. Sure. And um, 
And I forget where what the original question was that you asked me that got us to this point, but just <laughs> go with it. Just go with it. <laughs> just go with it. <laughs> So, um, at this point, I had adopted this now as my thesis, and um, it's something around intersex and something around Danny's story, um, treating it with very, um, just very carefully and with great um, uh, research and and care, but it wasn't fully fleshed out yet. Um, So, I'm doing this work at one university for my own academic research. work. And then I'm also teaching at two other universities. So I'm doing this circuit. I'm going through um, three universities, um, two bridge tunnels across in a state line, just doing the circuit around these three universities every week. And um, at, at the point where I think everything truly intersected and it became not just a story that I'm writing about somebody that's intersex, right. it became my story is, um, when one of the universities I was working at, which was a teeny tiny uh, Christian university, they wanted to promote me very suddenly to um, what's called a tenure track position. And that never happens. Um, It never happens to somebody um, really without a doctorate most of the time. And certainly like I hadn't even finished my MFA. I had a master's degree, but I had not finished my MFA. But this was a really small university, and they had had a, an audit of some kind, an academic audit, and they were told that they needed to have someone full-time um, in English, which was what I was teaching. And um, I was kind of the only game in town at that point, and they needed to make the appointment pretty quickly. So they kind of said, hey, this thing has come up. Are you interested? Um, and, and it was really kind of billed as almost a formality. Mm. They already worked there. Right. Um, but that's when uh, things got pretty interesting because instinctively, I just kind of knew that they had to know about this project I was working on, this thesis project, because eventually it was going to be a matter of public record. They're going to know. Right, right. And I'm thinking, what are they going to think about me doing my thesis on intersex people? And it was kind of leaning toward intersex people in the church. And, um, you know, the reasons why Danny had felt that he had to remain silent for 30 years, because that seemed to me to be a huge part of that story. And um, I guess kind of brought it up. I was at the interview that was supposed to be just kind of like this day where I talk to everybody and then at the end they go, and right. you cross a few T's, dot a few I's, you know, a couple of wink <laughs> winks and we're good to roll. And then, and then you yeah. tell them this story that, Hey, I'm, I'm in my other work. I'm doing this, this research, I guess, paper uh, on this. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you throw yeah. a bomb in the room, right? You throw the grenade in the room. I'm, I threw myself right under that bus on purpose <laughs> because at that point I felt that it, I just not being honest about that just didn't feel like an option. Um, It just didn't, didn't feel like an option. So I just put it out there and I'll just, let's see what happens now. And uh, what happened at that point was um, a lot of people got really uncomfortable. And I first told the academic Dean and we were on our way up to talk to this boardroom table full of, of university officials. And this table was the longest widest, most polished table I have ever seen in my life. Like the school was tiny. You could have fit the entire freshman class around this table. And I'm thinking, this isn't at all intimidating. And 
also I'm thinking, I cannot believe I'm going to have to talk about my friend's genitalia here. Right. Like how did I get myself in this situation? Right. right. <laughs> and, um, you know, the meeting kind of opened in on the light way that these meetings kind of do. And then, uh, oh, somebody or other threw the bomb out there. Basically, um, I think the question was actually point blank what I thought about. Um, I, I think how it went down was how, how did I feel about. No, no, it wasn't how I felt about LGBTQI. That came after. I think it was we were talking about academic freedom. And the, the dean said, um, well, we were just downstairs, you know, and, and Cynthia just shared with me uh, this this thing that she's working on. And, uh, and then he kind of just said, why don't you tell them? <laughs> tell the group what you just told me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Will do, buddy. <laughs> um, it people were nervous. It was you could you could slice the tension with a knife. Um, the president of the university um, became kind of flustered, and he said, uh, um, "Well, how do you feel about uh, LGBTQI nonsense?" And <laughs> wow. like, oh boy. It just sounds a lot like that nonsense is what this sounds like. And I was, um, you know, I just kind of decided to educate a little bit and to say, hey, you know, uh, I, I kind of explained a little bit of what I explained to you about, you know, intersex people are among us. It's a biological thing. Um, it's as common as red hair. And um, there's a, a psychology professor in the room and the um, president said to the psychology professor, is this true? And well, actually, it is, and <laughs> <laughs> and I think okay, this is going well. Uh, you know, like okay, I've got somebody in my corner. right. There's and- data to back up my points. I'm I'm, I'm not a Marxist in, in in disguise. You know, like yeah, yeah, I'm not making stuff up. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat here, Cynthia. I, I I'm fully invested in this story. So continue on. <laughs> so um. It, it gets, um, you know, they want to know all about it. They seem like weirdly intrigued, but also at the same time, kind of horrified because they, uh, and which was problematic to me because I supported obviously the whole spectrum of LGBTQ, not just the I. So <laughs> the fact that there were so many things being said about um, that in a derogatory way about the LGBTQ part of it was already not and not okay with me, but, um, you know, I was actually very clear that I was fully in support of, of, uh, gay rights. And I voted for those, you know, causes and, and I had already been clear about that. And yet still I was sitting there. And, um, so I kind of had this weird, like, I don't know where this is going, but, um, what happened was, uh, the, president got angry at one point and treated me a little bit like a petulant child and <laughs> said, well how do you feel about the lgbtqi issue and Jeez. is it right or is it wrong and i just kind of i kind of threw the question i gave a, a throwaway answer i was like well it's not right for me personally and then he got red in the face and he said that is exactly how i hated it when my sons would talk about you know do this to me um just playing around with language and, and he's just getting red faced. And I'm thinking like at one moment, I'm a candidate for a job. And the next, you know, I'm a teenager who came home with, you know, <laughs> smelling of alcohol. Right, right, right. 
And that's when the academic dean says, you know, I don't think Cynthia's had the time to read our new statement yet. And I'm thinking, oh, no, what is this fresh new hell? Right. And uh, <laughs> so it all came down to um, they had crafted a statement because um, the school was in North Carolina. I lived in Virginia. So that that was the state line I crossed in my little circuit every week. And um, this was before. Um, same-sex marriage was federally protected, but Virginia, where I live, um, had already legalized it. And North Carolina was was bracing for the scourge to come their way. And they had uh, kind of preemptively put out a statement of how the university felt. And I had not seen the statement. It was new. And um, the day sort of wrapped up. Um, and it ended with, we're going to send over the statement. And, um, and you're going to read the statement. I don't think you'll have any problems with the statement. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> like, okay, what, what could the statement say? That I've, I've been pretty clear and I'm not going to have any problems with it. I'll, I'll, we'll see what happens. So I get home, I flip open my computer, the statement's there. And what it said was... Um, that LGBTQI plus people, and it, then it listed, it was almost comical. They listed every variation they could think of, um, you know, uh, changing your, your assigned gender, being bisexual, being, you know, they're just listing everything, just uh, like wanted to have it all covered. They said these lifestyles are repugnant to God and to the principles of the university. <gasps> so what? Wait, did they actually use that word repugnant? Repugnant. That's in like their official statement? Official statement, repugnant. Okay, I mean, you know, usually like some churches actually give a shit and try to gloss that language, right? With like, you know, it's just not God's best, right? Or, Or the harsh ones are like, it's sinful. Okay, that's pretty harsh. Repugnant, I mean, that's like, you you just don't, you, it's dehumanizing. Wow. I have never heard repugnant before or since. And you would was- think like from an academic institution that takes, you know, that teaches students in theory to think critically and to like, you know, think before they speak and to examine all sides. Repugnant is like, it's like, chi- it's like sixth grade language. Yeah, it was, it's truly problematic to me um, from an academic perspective because universities are supposed to exist for, there's supposed to be places where truth can be sought, you know, free thinking that that's not governed by religion or not governed by, uh, you know, the government. It's supposed to be places right. where you can find out what's true in the world. Right. And it was also very troubling to me because this university was um, very narrowly focused on training like the next generation of Christian leaders. And I remembered as a youth leader, um, many years before this, where and this was still in the nineties and we didn't have a lot of information to work with in the nineties. And I was, um, in my office one day and a teen came in and he told me that he, um, had something that he really needed to talk about. And he told me that he was gay. And, um, it was, it was one of moments in my life that I would love to redo mm. because I didn't have any answers for him. Right. I had not, I wasn't equipped. The only thing I really knew about 
the homosexual lifestyle was that it was it was sin and it was um, it was something we were supposed to be keeping our kids away from. And I think I had a book by Josh McDowell on my shelf in the office that said, you know, usually this is, you know, a sign where, um, you know, kids that don't have good male leadership in their homes. And that's all I have to go on. Not to excuse me, but what I said was, you know, I, I know I acknowledge his story. I listened to it. But the only thing I truly remember saying is the Bible calls it sin. And, you know, I... It, I fortunately, um, in recent years, I got to reconnect with that student and apologize mm. to him. And uh, we had a wonderful conversation. But it was important to me to think when I'm thinking about this university, you know, going back to the repugnant issue, I'm thinking this is a university that is supposed to be training the next generation of leaders. They yeah. need to be equipped, they need to have better answers, they need to know how to take care of these people. Um, when we look at the suicide rate in you know, the LGBTQI+, plus, uh, especially in the teen community, it's, it's astounding. And to think about leaders, you know, the only thing that they're being told is, you know, if, if a teen comes in, hey, it's sin. Um, it, it was so troubling to me. Well, I mean, that is, I mean, that's how I grew up. You know, like that's, yeah. that's, that's the language I was given, uh, yeah. quote unquote, the Bible is clear, quote unquote, it's sin, you know, and um, you, Bible is you, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I mean, you know, you end up regurgitating what you're taught. And yeah. then I think for a lot of us, when we start leaving that basement of fundamentalism, we realize like not only how maybe we were harmed, but also how we harmed others by regurgitating those talking points, thinking exactly. that, thinking that we had some objective truth about the Bible or even about God because of what we were taught and how it was framed to us. Right. And so I I get that it's, it's incredibly, I don't know how you are with this, but I feel like the farther I go along the journey of life in the Christian faith, the the more humbled I get like day every day, like, man, I just know so little and I should be really careful before I make absolute truth statements about God or the Bible because, or the Christian tradition, because it's just very complicated stuff. It's very complicated stuff. And to think that any one church has the market cornered on, oh, oh, we have it exactly right. And that's what was going on in all those churches that I grew up in, you know, like here we know. Totally. <laughs> They're out. And, and it's just, it, it underscores the fact to me, I think what I took from that is, oh, I think none of these people have it right. And God must be a lot bigger than all of these places. Right. Well, it's interesting. Okay, so let's go back to part of your story that I, w- I want to pick on for a minute, and then we'll we'll get back more into the book and kind of what you know how how it's written and 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 some of the focuses. But I would imagine that, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I'll I'll use myself as an example. If I was in a place where you were, where I was very close to getting a permanent job, a teaching position, and all I had to do was you know cross a few T's, dot a few I's, and I would have job security, which means financial security, which is a big deal. Uh, you know, I'm assuming benefits, healthcare, kind of just locked in. Uh, yeah. And they say, hey, all you have to do is just sign this statement that says this horrible thing. You know, um, I think that while it would be a very easy way of saying, of course not, I have to leave, it'd be hard to know what I'm actually leaving behind, right? Like, oh my God, like I'm leaving job security. I'm leaving finances. I'm leaving, you know, um, this even maybe a sense of, of inner peace. Of like, okay, my job is locked in. 
Um, and I, I think, I think we, we have to be honest about that. You know, I think we all would wrestle, but I'm curious, like, like for you, is it like, no, I didn't even think about that. I was just like, forget it. I will never do this. I kicked the door down. I spilled my coffee on their table and said, you clean it up and just stormed out. What was it like for you being in that position? It was a little closer to the storm out than the other, but mm. I mean, it went on for, it was, it was weird because I, it wasn't over. Um, after I read that statement, because I kind of, um, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, I sent an email back and I said, I would not be signing the statement. And I did not agree with the statement and I did not believe the statement. And, um, I thought that was the end of it. So I, in that way, yeah, I pretty much did, you know, think, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do this because, um, and, and I'll go into the rest in a minute, but it really, for me, you know, the authenticity part of the book, um, I was just, I could not imagine showing up at a place every day and signing something like that. Basically by virtue of just showing up there, I was saying, this is, this is who I am and this is what I believe. And I felt like that would weigh heavily on me. And I felt like it would end poorly. Um, I also, you know, seeing how people, you know, seeing people excommunicated all the time, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be able to just do that. I wasn't going to be able to be quiet about things happening. I, I knew myself too well. Um, but, but I will say that, um, shockingly when, um, after I said I wouldn't be signing the statement, um, I got an email back and they said, well, you know what? We don't think that this statement would apply to an intersex person because it's biological. We, we, you know what? I think we found an answer here. And <laughs> Loophole found. Loophole found. And they said, we're, we're going to go forward. And, and part of uh, the hiring process is that we come visit you at your church. And, I'm, I'm, and so the, the dean says he's coming to church on Sunday. I'm like, well, let the dean come to church. So this will be fun. Um, so the dean comes to church. And I'm thinking, this job is, it's dead. It's over. There's nothing that's going to be able to happen. But yet the dean is coming to church. This, you know. Um, yeah. And he says at the end of the service. We need to we need to settle this um, soon. Uh, the The president's getting nervous. I said he should be getting nervous, <laughs> and he said, uh, "This is what we're going to do. I've got our our we've got our our professor who's the most conservative um, in terms of doctrine. We're going to get him on a call. Okay. Going to get me on a call. We're going to get you on a call, and we're gonna we're gonna talk through this. And I think we're I think we're going to be able to reach something." And <laughs> thinking i cannot imagine what we're going to be able to settle on here but i'm game so the next day uh get on this this call and uh basically um they said okay so we've talked through about intersex and you've explained to us that intersex is biological and, and we've you know checked some things out so this statement isn't going to apply to your friend but also we we really want you to 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 speak to something we want you to speak to where is the sin in your friend's condition? Because um, we want to make sure you recognize that. And and I said, what? <laughs> I'm not following. Well, you want to know where I see the sin in being intersex? Well, you know, where's the, the sin and, and the situation? And and I, I, I was baffled. <laughs> Utterly baffled. I mean, but, these are, you know, I, I, I wish... I wish in a in a in a weird way that they had this standard for people 
who were greedy who <laughs> donated to them. Right. You know, do they ever ask, well, where's the sin in this? You know, this person's giving us a large check, but where did the money come from? Was was yeah. it earned ethically? You know, I mean, James 5 says, you know, woe to you who don't pay your workers fairly. And we want to follow the Bible. So can we do a full vet, please? And where's the sin in this donor? I mean, do they call up the donor saying that, you know, hey, Mr. Donor, I don't, this money, it's it's an awful lot of money for you to have to not have earned ethically. And, you know, the Bible's Wait. clear. Money. <laughs> yeah, the Bible's clear, right? No, that's not the question. They'll take that money any damn day. The question is, in your friend's life, that does not affect our life at all. Where do you see sin? And not just yeah. any sin. Not like, not like, is your friend you know, slow to anger? It's where's the sexual sin? Because right. your friend is intersex. So there must be sin somewhere because it's not heteronormative. Somewhere. And what Jesus. I find... What I finally realized that the question was is that they were asking me if he was going to be celibate and that I, they wanted me to say that if he didn't choose to be celibate, that he would be living in sin. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, do do you sometimes wonder who the hell do these people think that they are? Do you ever wonder that? Like, like honestly, like who do you think you are? Like, like, like somehow you have this, what this divine authority to tell people in situations that you will never experience or ever understand where their line is. Is that yep. a joke? Yep. And that was, you know, that was the whole thing. You know, if you, if we can just get you to say this and and I was, I said, I don't think that at all. And they said, well, they, and they came in again. They said, well, can we liken it, please, to say alcoholism? <laughs> yeah, can we? How? Yeah. How would- right. <laughs> Right. I mean, it, it seems like this university really wanted you. <laughs> yeah. They're like, what can we do, Cynthia? Anything. Yes. But I, I also feel like it's, it's, it's baffling how, 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 um, how they can't read the room of like, wait, you think that because you found a loophole for my intersex friend that I'm writing about, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, um, frustrated or, or aghast at your word repugnant for queer folks. Like I'm repulsed by your, I'm repugnated. I'm I'm not sure if that's even a word by your repugnance, you know? And it's like, 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 what do they, what do they think is going to happen? Like, Oh, thank you. Oh, gracious Dean and Mr. Conservative (laughs) scholar for, I accept thee, you know, and I will just ignore that you literally are saying you would hate the queer community. No problem. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. I know. It was comical. It, it got to the point of just being comical. And, you know, they wanted, they even busted out Leviticus. No. Yes. And I, I shot them down so hard about Leviticus. Jesus. It was hilarious. I'm like, this is your best scholar. Yeah, I mean, and- come on. Come on. Leviticus. Come on. I- we aren't even even going to discuss Leviticus unless you are willing to discuss if we're going to have a priest come in and bless the refrigerator after moldy food has been taken out of it. If we're going to do that. You know, we'll bring in Leviticus, but if that's not on the table now, no Leviticus. So let me ask you one more one more question about this. I mean, did you and maybe not? So you know, just be you. Answer transparently. But I also feel like there's like um, a patriarchal dynamic to this too. Like, oh, well, if we just get my male conservative scholar 
the conversation is really more about, about convincing you how wrong you are and how little oh. you know and how right oh, yeah. Mr. Mr. Conservative Scholar is and how ultimately you're under the headship of men, right? So uh, just submit. Uh, we found you a loophole. That's called grace. And now you now yeah. you can teach for us, you know? Was there that dynamic for you as well? Yeah. So 100%, I did feel that that dynamic was in play. Um I felt it first when um, I was in the boardroom at the, the big table when the president was talking to me about, don't do that thing that my sons do that makes me so angry, you know. And then I definitely felt it when when they kept coming back from different angles. I felt like they were trying to to send this message like, you don't understand. You just don't understand what you're doing. Yeah. Let us try again. You know, you, the poor little lady just doesn't get it. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, that is frustrating. You know, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of layers to that. Okay. So, so I'm assuming long story short, you know, you end up leaving, right? You end up leaving and saying, I can't do it. Uh, and then, so you wrote this, when did the book actually get written then? I mean, how long ago did the book get written? Cause it, is it, is it out now or is it coming out? It came out in August. August okay. Of- so it's out now. When was the book actually written and like how recent is the story in the book? Yeah. So those events at the boardroom table were 2014. Um, the okay, boardroom wow. table episode and Danny meeting up with me and my husband at the coffee shop, telling us his story. Those events happened days apart. It, they were simultaneous events. Um, wow. and, uh, it, cause it was very quickly from Danny telling me and telling my husband, um, his story to where we just became very, very close. And it was, it was just very, very quickly into that process that, um, mm, mm-hmm. you know, that we decided to write and that Danny was, you know, encouraging me to, to do this, uh, thesis project that all happened very quickly in the fall of, uh, 2014, but the book, um, I think that the very, the most recent in the epilogue, there are events from 2019 in the epilogue. Okay. Okay. So, so walk no, me through like, funny. So pandemic is in it. So yeah, it, it covered a long period of time. <laughs> so how is the book, like, how did you create it? Cause it's part your story and part Danny's story. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes. So yes. like what, what is this more of like a memoir of like two different people or is it more of like, you know, just using story to kind of point to a bigger picture? How is the book formatted? The book is in three parts okay. and uh, it, it is first Danny's story and it stops at the point where he decides to call me up to go to the, uh, to meet up at the Panera and tell me his story. Then it's my story. And that goes through, um, the, the boardroom. And then the part is Danny and, and I together just, Mm. um, going forward from that point where we had both made a choice to leave safety behind Mm. and what happens next for both of us. Got it. Um, So let me ask you this. I mean, and what, since you decided to kind of go on this journey with Danny, you know, and writing the book with him and, and really, really being a part of his story, how has, how has your life changed since all of this? I mean, you obviously didn't get that job, you know, originally right in 2014, but like how else has your life changed? In just about every way you can possibly imagine. I felt that that just kicked off events that, that caused everything to burn to the ground, you mm. know? And I yeah. feel like what I went through, cause Danny and I, you know, 
we don't go to our church anymore. We don't go, neither of us um, or our spouses, you know, we're, Danny um, is now married and um, he and his wife and my husband and, um, and I were, we're very close friends and um, we don't go to church anymore. Hmm. So um, we've, we've kind of gone through deconstruction um, (laughs) and it just, um, it, it was kind of, my therapist said, you're at this point where it's like scorched earth and you just have to start waiting for shoots and blooms to come up <laughs> and shoots and blooms did start coming up. And what I have found is just a love for community. And I have made uh, a beautiful community, a community that includes a lot of queer people and a community that is richer and more authentic than anything I experienced at church. Because at church, you're always afraid that you're going to be tossed out. You're always afraid that you're going to cross some line. And then that's that. Mm. And now friends that I have, I can just be myself. I can have a variety of opinions um, and we don't have to see eye to eye. And what I found was that when you're authentic you draw people to you that yeah. truly like who you are. So the more you that you are, the more that's going to come back in a way that that's uh, you're going to be you're going to find people that just love that whatever that is about you that you're putting out. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I mean, I think the million dollar question folks are probably wondering is where did you find these people? You know, because a lot of folks left their church and they're like. I'm on my own island. I don't, you know, that's why I think our work is so um, popular with so many people because we we have created some digital spaces. So I know online's a big place, but yeah. where have you found these friends that, that that you're saying and telling me you found deeper <laughs> community with them than the ones in your church? Because sign me the hell up, uh, you know, SOS. So, I mean, where did you find these folks? That's an excellent question. And I, at my website right now, I have a place where the first time you hit my page, there's a little PDF that you can download for free, no strings, just a PDF about five tips for creating community because um, I kind of boiled it down to thought processes because, um, you know, I can tell you, you know, go sign up for this or do that. But for me, it's a lot of shifts in thinking. Um, we were always told, for instance, and I say we, you know, growing up in evangelical spaces, sure. we were always told, um, your true friends are from church. Those people out in the world are icky and scary. Right. And um, what I found is there's some really amazing people out in the world. And so it's a kind of a combination where, um, first of all, I was just very vocal about where I was in my faith. And I had a lot of people, I mean, I say a lot, but some of my core friends are people that I had known in the past that also started having their own deconstruction experience or had their own questions. And, and then we reconnected in a different way. Mm. Uh, One friend in particular was a former church friend who, you know, just, she's not in that space anymore. And we, we just became friends on a whole new level. Um, but it, I, I spend a lot of time I'm going to, I've got a cidery down the road from my house and I go to the cidery all the time and yeah. I will sit there and talk with anybody and everybody um, and just make friends. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah. it's being. Yeah, no, I feel that for sure. 
go places you wouldn't have gone before, do things you wouldn't have done before, open your mind to new experiences. If you're curious about something, just explore that curiosity. And most importantly, just be hmm. yourself in all of these situations because it's it's like um, a marketing tip that I learned one time. I, some marketing class I took said um, to adopt the principle of attract and repel. And what hmm. they meant was um, don't try to appeal to everybody. You're not going to do it. Like hopefully right. – <laughs> Hopefully, within the first few minutes of being exposed to you or in the marketing case, your product or whatever, people are going to go, oh, not for me. Or they go, wait, tell me more. <laughs> so, right. right. So when you are totally and completely authentic, your right people are going to be drawn to that. That makes sense. All right. Well, uh, last question for you. And I appreciate you making time, you know, twice now uh, to make this interview happen. And, you know, again, friends, if you don't know, the book is Intersection, uh, Intersection, uh, a story of faith, identity, and authenticity. You can get it now wherever books are sold. It's available. It's also out on audiobook as well. Do you know? Yes. Right. Yes. It's out, on, it's out on audiobook. Wonderful. It's, My oh, last I, question. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to so plug the audiobook because plug I got. It. I had the most exciting thing that happened for me with the audiobook was an intersex narrator is reading my part. And wow. the story of how that happened is just so amazing. But um, she is amazing. And we've become friends. And um, I could not have asked for a better person to read my voice. And we also got a, a marvelous person to read Danny, um, who's in the queer community. And it's I can't say enough about the audiobook. The, I, I thought uh, naively at first, I want to read my own audiobook. No, no, <laughs> it worked out better. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. My last question is, I mean, so, so where is your faith now? Like, you know, I, I think if people ask me that, I'm like, well, what do you mean? You know? So, I mean, like, as far as like where you were, maybe in your more evangelical fundamentalist days, I mean, what are some big things that have shifted for you? Like, like, um, you know, how do you view the Bible now? Or, or do you still consider yourself a practicing Christian in some, somewhere in the house? Or have you kind of taken the exit door out and said, I'm, I'm good. I'm out. Where do you land with this stuff now? Um, God and Christianity and, and spirituality, it's all yeah. super odd to me now. Yeah. Um, I think it's. I think that that's one thing that we've done as um, in the evangelical church is limit God to existing in a certain little space, um, perhaps even just in America. And I feel very strongly that um, there are lots of different paths to God, and that God is love. The Bible tells us that God is love. If yeah. if God is love, then practicing love that's that's as close to God as we're going to get. Um, as far as the Bible, um, Peter Enns um, yes. has influenced a lot of my thinking on that. Um, and uh, there's the book, The Sin of Certainty. Mm -hmm. um, great book. Great book. Um, the Bible Tells Me So, another great book um, that kind of, kind of helped me to see the Bible as a people group um, over time. You know, the Jewish people, a nomadic, you know, people group trying to record their experiences with the divine, right. trying to make their stories, which we all do. It's the most human thing in the world to try to make sense of your story. Yeah. 
I love that. Well, Cynthia, again, I really appreciate you making time and, and coming on the show and just discussing really a lot of your own story and how it intersects, no pun intended, you know, with Danny's story and just what, what it means, you know, and how does the church treat the queer community, in this case specifically, folks who are intersex. And I think about even my own knowledge, it's so limited. Uh, I think sometimes I'm, I'm afraid to ask the questions. I don't want to offend someone, right? You'd be like, well, how does this work? But I, I appreciate you. Um, and I also, I appreciate Danny being willing to let you share his story. I mean, that, that, that I think is, is such an important thing we, we have to recognize here. And I, I am confident that both his story and your story uh, will impact people. So thanks for making time. It means the world. Absolutely. Thank you for making time and being persistent when <laughs> no problem. Well, ask, where can folks find you? Are you, are you like on Twitter, Instagram? Is it just yeah. the book? Like plug away. Yeah, so I'm at CynthiaVacaDavis.com, and there's links to my socials there. You can find me on Twitter. Been a little Twitter shy in recent weeks because of the <laughs> way things are on Twitter, but I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, um, and uh, you can sign up for my newsletter. I'm actually, I've been a little slack lately, but I've got big plans for the new year, making my newsletter uh, very much a place to build community. Yeah. And um, that's my biggest desire with this book is to start to build community around in safe space and connect with people. So, um, yeah, my my website would be a great place to start. Awesome. All right. Well, well, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you, Tim. Looking for a new career? Welcome to Do HVAC Training Service Center in North Charleston. Enroll today in our comprehensive HVAC training hands-on field experience-based program covering troubleshooting, maintenance, installation, and more on various HVAC systems and ductwork. We offer EPA and NAIC preparation and testing along with various certifications. Enjoy payment options. Achieve certification in under five months. Enroll now for your new journey of skill development and career advancement. Log on to DEWHVACTrainingSC.com to enroll. Inquire.